It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, we're five games in. We're heading towards a bye week. Probably a good time to take one step back and take a look at what's going on with this team on each side of the ball. 5-0, and 40 points a game. Defense is really good. There can't be anything at all we're unhappy with, can there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get into that here on the show today. But most importantly, it is the bye week. And uh, I have taken uh, the liberty of being a husband this week and, and being around my wife for a couple of minutes. We're going to go apple picking. I'm wearing my fall flannel in preparation of all the apple and pumpkin this week. So her birthday is in October. We're celebrating early. I'm super excited that it's bye week. Uh, we're still going to get into a bunch of stuff. But it's just less hectic. So very happy uh, to be. Actually, I slept. I slept this weekend, too. So it was great. It was, it was a great weekend. Uh, T. Frank, I'm sure you've done this for your audience before, but it's worth doing one more time. Would you turn around and read that sign that's uh, <laughs> be over your left shoulder? Well, so because it is false, uh, there's a pumpkin in front of it. So I'll just show you quickly. <laughs> So he probably put a pumpkin in the background, even though it's directly behind my head. Uh, and the sign says, we interrupt this marriage to bring you football season. So that is that is the nature of our house. Um, and we get a quick break here where we're in the off season. And, you know, I know James Franklin said it's not a uh, it's not an off week. It's bye week. Well, to each their own then. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, T. Frank. All right, let, let's get to it. Let's start where most of the conversation is. And, and that's with the offense. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, they're putting up 40 points a game. On the surface, that seems very good. You got to be happy with that. However, there are some chinks in the armor. And one of the major items that everyone talks about is the lack of big plays. And that's been the case with both the running game and the passing game. And mm -hmm. I'm sure it's different answers as to why in each one of them. So let's attack them one at a time. Let's yep. go with the running game. We had these two star freshman running backs, Katron Allen, Nicholas Singleton from last year. The thought was this is going to be even better their sophomore year. That hasn't quite happened yet, T. Frank. There's yeah. been no explosive plays, and I think Nick Singleton is literally averaging half the yardage per carry that he did a year ago. What is going on? Yeah, so uh, as a quick clarification, there's a bunch of different ways that people uh, characterize an explosive play. So some people say 10 plus yards on a run play is an explosive play. Some people say 15. So they have gotten explosive run plays, but they haven't gotten the 60-yard touchdown. So I think that's the, the biggest difference is the, is the game breaker. They haven't gotten any of those. They have gotten explosive plays in the run game. So it, it was better this past week against Northwestern, but it wasn't what you wanted, which is the 40-yard run where you get a 
you know, the, the announcer gets all excited and starts yelling. So that like there, there is a little bit of, there's a little bit of nuance there. See, Frank, we haven't even seen a 20 yard run from those two backs. Right. Right. And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to mitigate. I'm just, that's, that's for factual, like, just so it, in case somebody comes back and says like, well, technically they have gotten explosive runs. Like it's, it's, it's about perception and it's about the, what, I think is a genuine lack of uh, production at that position that, that is, it's fair to address. I just, you know, I guess I'm spinning my wheels saying like, we wanted to clarify for accuracy sake. Anyway, let's get on to the, the point being that there's a couple of different factors going on right now. And I think the first one is you look at the running backs themselves. Um, early in the year, I felt like Katron Allen was pressing because of everything we just talked about. And they, they have seen more loaded boxes than they did last year. They have had less production against those loaded boxes than they did last year. And from my view of things, I felt like Allen was pressing a little bit at first. And then the last two games, he's really settled down, but then he gets injured and you uh, don't see him in the second half of that Northwestern game, which changes the fabric of how these things play out. Nick Singleton, I think that there is this ongoing evolution of him as a runner where he was a big play machine in high school where he was in a very specific system that was very tailored to what he was going to do on every play, which is get outside and run down the field in a straight line as fast as possible. They took last year to make him into a running back. I kind of think, of, think about it like Micah Parsons, where they wanted to make him a linebacker. He was an athlete that could just chase the quarterback, but let's make him a good football player. So they've worked on his patience and his vision. And at the end of last year, he found a really good balance between patience and explosiveness and urgency to get big plays this year. It feels like the pendulum has swung too far towards Nick Singleton is trying to hit every hole correctly, trying to do the running back thing correctly instead of being a running back, which is to make it up in a certain sense. And, and that's an unfair thing because that's not correct. They don't just make it up out there, but there is a certain amount of creativity and improvisation that goes into the running back position when things don't go right. So if you don't have a perfectly placed hole, he's trying to run through the intended point of attack every time instead of like Katron Allen does, which is read it and react. So there's a little bit of hesitancy from him. And the good news is this is all correctable once they kind of let loose, you know, and I think that this is something that I, I promised myself. This is the third time I've done this, but like you look at him, he's visibly frustrated on TV with the running game. He's a very serious, intense person. I think they just need to relax for a second and let, let the play come to them and then be, be the football player. And I think that that can fix itself. And that is part of the situation. The second part of the situation is he's a hammer. So he sees everyone as a nail. He's not going to dance and juke. He's going to run over people. And he doesn't necessarily have that low center of gravity to run over people the way you've seen other running backs do that and keep their balance and contact balance. So I think that there's just a, a personality trait here. And there's also a little bit of, um, consternation uh, you know the 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 running game needs to kind of let loose a little bit because the offensive line is blocking well enough to make these plays work all right you hit on my next topic was the offensive line and I was going to ask how has their blocking been and how has the blocking been downfield where yeah whether the wide receiver might be able to change an eight yard run into a 30 yard run what, so that is no. I, so I, I have a hard time because I'm spending so much time watching the actual the actual run for formation of like what is the offensive line doing? What are the tight ends doing? The primary blockers to get you out in space. 
yes, the receivers aren't great, but my point more to the more to the fact is the offensive line is getting the running back to the safety or the corner, the individual that the the running back is supposed to make miss and make a big play. And you know, I I'll I'll admit I was dismissive of the Trey Potts conversation early in the year because he's he's out there with Bo Perbila. It's the fourth quarter. I would like to see him do it against, and then suddenly he does it in in the second quarter or third quarter, whatever it is, uh, against Northwestern because he got to the safety one on one and he made the guy miss and he got a touchdown. So wide receiver blocking is great, and I think it's everyone that wants to be a smart guy says, "Hey, what about wide receiver blocking?" But really, it's about the five guys up front. They are getting the running backs to the safety or to the individual he's supposed to make miss enough times that I think they're doing their job. Are they blowing open, open giant holes and knocking guys to the ground every play? No, but they are executing their blocks correctly enough times that you want your special running backs to be special. And so far, they really haven't gotten there yet in, in consistently making those big plays when they have the opportunity. A year ago, T. Frank, it seemed like every big running play, Bretton Strange was there making the block, the one that seemed to free the running back. Do they miss Bretton Strange? Are you seeing any difference in that specific block that might come from a different tight end this year? Yes and no. Um, So I want to give Tyler Warren credit that in certain situations, he's blocking well. So I think when he's given the opportunity to drive block, he is blocking well, but Theo Johnson has taken a step back from where he was last year. So it's kind of a wash in terms of <laughs> they've got one tight end that's blocking well, and they got one tight end that is not blocking well. And then the difference being Brent Strange never got like beat a lot, you know, like certain situations, maybe he'd give up a run, but it wasn't as frequently as where Tyler Warren is in certain situations, zone blocking, especially on the backside of plays where he's supposed to cut off the defense vent. Neither guy can do that. And I think it's fair to say, Penn State, that one of the biggest things that they took as a leap forward last year was their ability to use the counter game, which is where you're pulling two players from the backside to the front side. Usually, um, usually for them last year was an offensive lineman and Brenton Strange. Strange was good at hitting those blocks. And even if he didn't win outright, he didn't lose. And you're getting more issues with that particular scheme than you did last year. So, okay, you adjust, you do different things, and you go more to man blocking or other places. It's just this kind of knock-on effect of, yes, you miss Bretton Strange in certain key situations, but you need to find the things that work with the players that you have. And I think that they're finding those things slowly, but the weaknesses in kind of what you were doing last year versus what you want to do this year, maybe they haven't lined up completely. You know, that's hard to say say exactly, because Mike Yersich has used a wide variety and game-to-game different blocking schemes to attack an opponent schematically. And certain times it's worked, certain times it hasn't. And the counter game, they they went into it the last two games, and it hasn't been very effective. And that is where Nick Singleton got a lot of his, his explosive plays last year, was in those situations, and then maybe sometimes in the T formation and short yardage, going back to missing two tight ends that were really good at blocking in those situations with Brenton Strange lead blocking. Khalil Dinkins has been fine, but he hasn't been like, a standout player. One of the things that I've pointed out several times, T. Frank, and I want to know from you how much effect this has, is they'll run a zone read, which is Mm -hmm. the quarterback puts the ball in the running back's gut, and if they crash on the running back, say the defensive end, Mm -hmm. the quarterback has the option of pulling it out and running with the ball. 
we've seen that I believe one time. Yep. And is it not? I understand. Gee, you'd rather have Nick Singleton running the ball than Drew Aller. But if the defense knows that, are they just ignoring the quarterback now so that they can get to the running back? Yeah, so this is an interesting conversation because part of the conversation is also why would you want to have Drew Aller run? And and I think that's fair, but also they ran quarterback sweep at the goal line. So if they, they ran a quarterback draw with him inside the red zone, um, I understand you want to be selective with it, but if you're not afraid of running him in one situation, then don't call a read option in another. I think part of this is there are fewer read options this year, but the way handoffs work in college football it's kind of like in in you know certain places you want everything to look the same so you might have an automatic give that looks like a read option it's really about like how serious is Aller about sticking his hand in there and pulling the ball out or is it a, a give that looks like a read option so it's a little bit of both but yes it absolutely has an effect on the run game the lack of that and then you see Bo Prabula come in the game and how Trey Potts and he have so much more room to run that is a function of the quarterback being an option in the run game and teams not able to dedicate that free rusher, the guy you're not blocking in these zone systems, to go after the running back. He can't do that the same way. Also happened in the in the play game, in the in the play action game as well against Northwestern. All right, T Frank, we're gonna pick up the conversation from there in quarter number two. Stick with us. Hey, it's T Frank. Do you suffer from sleeplessness, anxiety, stress, maybe chronic pain? If you have any of these symptoms, that makes you like the rest of us. Um, and one of the ways that I deal with that, and I've told you for a long time here on the BWI YouTube channel, is that I struggle to fall asleep and stay asleep at night. And one of the things that's helped me is uh, RogueShop.com and their THC gummies. They are non-habit forming. I've never had a problem with stopping taking them or starting taking them or anything like that. Uh, you just take them and uh, before you go to bed, help you fall asleep, help you stay asleep. When you need to go shh, shh, brain, calm down. That's what it helps me do. Maybe you have chronic pain, though. They have some salves and some other things infused with THC, something that's been proven to abate pain symptoms. Uh, you can go to rogueshop.com and get more information about all of that stuff. Again, I'm just here to tell you about how it's helped me, but if you want the real information about how uh, THC and CBD can help you out, go to rogueshop.com, and when you do, use the promo code BWI. You'll get 10% off your first purchase at rogueshop.com. Again, tell them uh, that T. Frank sent you from the BWI live show, and uh, use the promo code BWI so you can get 10% off at rogueshop.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is T. Frank. I am Jim. 
we spent our couple minutes between segments with me whining to T. Frank, something I'm very good at. So I hope you appreciate my expertise in that area, T. Frank. He was whining about um, TV coverage of football games, which is, and I always say this every time it comes up, that's why I didn't want to do play-by-play in college. I'm like, this is awful. I don't, I complain about the play-by-play people. It's like the only thing you can do in those situations is not be annoying. Like you can't be great at this. It's just like somebody, somebody out there hates you. And I think that's no matter what, like if you're in, in media, but generally nobody gets more complaints than people who are on TV calling football games, because like it's impossible to be like beloved for the most part. You just have to be tolerated. Now, to be fair, I wasn't complaining about play-by-play people. I was no, complaining no, you about the, the expert official who's going to come in and give us his opinion or not, or the sideline reporter who gives us tremendous updates. And by the way, I told you, T. Frank, between segments, I was done whining. Obviously, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's, get, let's get back on topic. We were talking about Penn State's offense and some of the analysis. and. Mm-hmm. As we were wrapping up, you're talking a bit about Bo Prabula and and Trey Potts and that the running game looks different with those two in the game because Bo Prabula, well, he's not just a threat to run the ball. The fact is he's probably going to run the ball the majority of the times, and that probably opens some things up for Trey Potts. Now, with Allen out hurt against Northwestern, we saw Potts get a couple runs Prior to that, playing with Drew Aller, yeah. he looked good, but I think he had carried the ball three times, T. Frank, in that game. Is that enough to say, you know what, I'm seeing something there and he deserves more carries? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that, no. To me, no. Um, you don't, like, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. The, the the two running backs we know are good. Like, let's not rewrite history. Last season, these guys were some of the best running backs in football, and they were still learning the position. Um, do you want to get more efficiency out of the the run game? I think it's been efficient. It hasn't been explosive. Trey Potts is not going to. This is the reason, like, he didn't start in Minnesota, and I, I'm not trying to talk down on him. He's an excellent like efficient running back. If you need six yards, he'll get you six yards. If you need three for a first down, he'll do that. Talking about like his running style, he's got a lower center of gravity. They've trimmed him down a little bit. So he's more agile and he can break tackles. But when he gets in the open field, historically, he's not been a guy that can break off a 60 yard run. So that's not going to solve Penn state fans issues here. Like he's not going to suddenly be the guy that is taking the top off the defense and making you pay, et cetera, et cetera. The two guys that are starting, they have the talent to do that. It's just about working through some of the kinks this year. And I understand we're five games into the season. Some of this is starting to become a personality trait and less of a, an issue to work through. But you bet on the talent here. It's like Nick Singleton didn't get less talented in the offseason. So I, do you want to have Trey Potts have a couple of carries? Sure. But I'm not saying that he's going to be part of a three-headed rotation. That I, He understands that. Penn State understands that, and everyone involved, you know, I think inside the building understands that as well. All right, T. Frank, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the passing game. We were all very excited about Drew Aller at the beginning of the season. It appeared, it didn't appear he missed any passes. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't having those miscommunication with his receivers. More recently, 
and more specifically, the couple games on the road, we saw so much more of that. Drew Aller misfiring, Drew Aller and the receiver not on the same page, wide receivers not getting separation. Which of these are the, do you call the real issues with some of the struggles with the passing game? Well, I think that some of the miscommunication issues come from the fact that Trey Wallace hasn't played since like the first game, right? Like, I don't think he played against Delaware. So you had two receivers all off season. Let's not let, let's rewind what we know about the team and let's let's not be caught in the moment, which is I'm I'm do this all the time as well. Keandre Lambert Smith, Trey Wallace. Those were the guys Penn State said James Franklin repeatedly said those are the guys we can count on. Those are the guys that we think have separated from the pack. We have a lot of talent, but they need to be consistent. And what we've seen in the absence of Trey Wallace is inconsistency. Dropped footballs, missed assignments, blocking when you should be running a comeback route, you know, like specifically last week. Dante Cephas had eight targets and caught two of them. Some of those are drops. Some of those are miscommunications on his part. And some of those are not understanding exactly what the quarterback wants from you. And then there was a couple of situations where Drew had to let the ball go early and it was an incompletion. So the inefficiencies there is due in part to not having your full complement of receivers, which is to say that they didn't have a lot of depth there and it's being tested. And so far they are passing with their, I don't say worst case scenario, but a, not a, a less than ideal scenario at receiver, which is a part of the big conversation about, you know, the passing game and its structure. And are you three receivers or two tight ends? And like, clearly two tight ends is the way to go. If you don't have your number two receiver where then Liam Clifford is a fifth option, you know, or a fourth option. Now he's going to be, his role is specific, I think. But then you're looking at those other guys at that X position and who's stepping up to make those plays. So, you know, I think it is, I would say the receiver position and, and the miscommunications there are a part of it. But if we want to talk about the nature of the offense, it flows through the quarterback and the quarterback's personality gives the personality to the rest of the offense. And I think that's another thing that, we didn't know about Drew Aller coming into the season, and I think the first game was a, I don't want to say it was a, it was a, uh, a lie that he is not that guy. I think he has that in him, but more than that, he is a careful, methodical quarterback, and I think he's being coached that way, and I think that's his personality that makes this offense what it is, which is to say it doesn't have the explosive runs, and it's very methodical in the passing game. Frank, let's talk about how defenses are playing Penn State. Mm -hmm. Are they stacking the line of scrimmage to stop the running game? Mm -hmm. Are they kind of playing an umbrella in the back of the defense to keep from having uh, their DBs getting beat over the top? What is going on with how teams are playing Penn State? And are there things they should be doing to counteract it? So, yes. And it's interesting. I, I you know, kind of characterize coverage families a little too broadly. And this is something I asked James Franklin about before the Northwestern game, because again, they were seeing another one of these quarters defenses. Quarters defense is, is a too high system where you have two deep safeties, but they play much more like um, it's kind of a unique system where there's, where there's man coverage elements in it baked into the rules. And also as James Franklin pointed out and something that, you know, it's not, the same as a cover two or a cover six system where you've got very safe preventative, the safeties are playing deep and they're keeping a lid on the D on, on the, on the big shots downfield. 
Cover four, you have the ability to drop those guys into the box and play with an extra player near the line of scrimmage. So they've seen a lot of these teams that have been apparently good at playing the middle ground there of saying, we're going to keep four people deep in our cover four system. And because of that, we're going to be aggressive with those safeties in the run game. And that's what you saw Northwestern do is they, they, they threw, they threw guys late into the box count, whether it was a a Sam linebacker uh, flying in from the field or one of the safeties rotating at the snap. um, Northwestern was able to sting the run game a bit and get those players either free to the running back close to the line of scrimmage or, you know, make the running back cut and get into, um, you know, holes he didn't want to run through in the first place. So that is a part of what happened against Northwestern. And against Iowa, West Virginia, Delaware, all of these teams play these cover four shells. So they have seen an abnormal amount of this so far through the season, which has, I think, led to them doing some of these things. Now, I think they could have attacked Northwestern more. They had more shots called. But Drew Aller didn't take them because they weren't there. And that goes back to the receiver consistency, getting open and being able to just run by your guy deep. So when it comes to kind of the, the overall, there, there is season-long trends and there's also individual game trends where Penn State hasn't taken advantage of since that first week. What I think is secondary play they should be able to take advantage of. T. Frank, is, is that the strategy against this type of defense? Try to beat them deep? Is are the opportunities yeah. there? I, I mean, is there? I know for everything the defense does, no matter what they do, there's a counter to it for the offense. Yeah. How do you counter this type of defense? So with that kind of defense, what is the counter? What should Penn State's offense be looking to do? So there's there's a couple of different things that I've seen when studying this stuff, because I was brushing up on this in the offseason, knowing that they were going to face uh, West Virginia to start the year, who runs these cover three, cover four, you know, soft shell coverages. And it's funny in the big 12, the answer is run everyone downfield, make it one-on-one coverage, and then bombs away to your favorite target. What Penn state is doing is when they see these soft corners, because you're playing off coverage in either three or four, they're just comeback route to death. So instead of going deep and trying to beat the guy over the top, if he's giving you those six yards, stop, turn around and wait for the football. And this has been the drew Aller, staple like this is 90 percent of his diet is i'm going to take the easy soft corner and that is efficient they were less efficient with it the other week against northwestern because there was receiver miscommunication issues but teams are starting to sit on that teams are starting to say okay you're going to do that you're going to keep taking those we're going to be more aggressive in our coverage and that's what led to dante cephas being able to get over the top for that big play in the third quarter which they almost connected on because they ran a double move there So there are counters. There are things that Penn State is doing to create these explosive plays, but they just, they haven't hit yet. And part of it is Drew Aller, and this is kind of um, the last thing I'll say kind of on his nature, is that you have multiple options on a play based on the coverage each play. Like, it's not just where the quarterback throws, that that's absolutely where the ball is supposed to go. There are other, if he's a more aggressive quarterback, some quarterbacks start reading high, the explosive play. Can I get the big play? And then go low. I'll take the check down. I'll take the crossing route. So there were some opportunities within the structure of the normal plays outside of the shot plays that Penn State could have had more yards, but Drew Aller chose the accurate, safe completion to move the chains. And he did it quickly before the rest of the play really had a chance to fully develop. He's not making mistakes because those are still the correct decision, 
but it's just a less aggressive decision than you might see from other quarterbacks. And it's a different nature than you were expecting from a dude that's 6'5 and can throw the ball 70 yards. It's almost like the quarterback version of what you were talking about with Nick Singleton. Also, I called this, uh, I called this uh, athletic hubris. Those two need to have a little bit more arrogance about their potential and their ability, and that might open up the offense. The one last thing I want to point out, and it's kind of an interesting thing, is when uh, Drew Aller is going to the check down and he's hitting on 70-some percent of those, it's yep. a good thing. However, on his two road games, he's hitting on 51% of his passes as opposed to 70-some percent at home. Yep. Big difference there, T. Frank. All right, that is it for quarter number two. Stay tuned. Quarter three, we take your questions. And we asked T. Frank. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three, which means it's time to ask T. Frank this, where we take your questions. Best question at the end, as chosen by T. Frank. They win the prize from 409tailgateclub.com. That's where all the great barbecue sauces, barbecue rubs, including the new coffee barbecue rubs are. Check them out, 409tailgateclub.com. And if you want to send in your question for T. Frank, all you got to do, download our app, Keystone Sports. That's Keystone Sports from your app store. You'll see the Ask T. Frank button, and away you go. All right, T. Frank, let's start with Jeff in Oakdale who says, can you break down Dante Cephas? It looks like he's running poor routes, too deep, not breaking crisp enough. Also <laughs> looks like he isn't used to the zip on Allen passes. At least three this year with catchable and zip through his hands. He uh -huh. looks fast when he has the ball in his hands, but fundamentals look off. You're the expert, so break it down. Am I wrong or off? Well, it, it looks like Jeff just did the breakdown for you, yeah, too, Frank. I don't know what else. <laughs> Please break down Dante Cephas. Breaks down Dante Cephas. Uh, yeah. You know, like most people, fans are smart. Like you, you know what you're looking at. Um, so, yeah, like those are the issues so far that he's struggled with catching the football. Like I think drops for him have been a thing where the ball gets on him quicker than he maybe he's expecting or he's ready for. Um, but he, this is the thing is like, I said this in T Frank's film room, which I put up earlier this week at blue illustrated.com going in and showing you these things like his route running, his abilities are why he's at Penn state. So don't give up on Dante Cephas. He's been doing this with Penn state for two months. Consider the fact that if he had enrolled in January, it would be 10 months. So there, he is significantly behind the curve and he's having to learn on the job with Trey Wallace injured. So he's being put in a bad situation for him. But it's what the what Penn State needs of him, and they are still winning football games. It's causing all of these, you know, inconsistencies in the offense. But like, just keep it in context. We said this at the at the beginning of training camp. We said this at the middle and end of training camp when he was with the number threes, and they were going to make him earn his role within the offense. Well, he made it up to the number two behind. Uh, I think he's behind Keandre. Uh, he's behind Dre at the Z. But like, he's playing across the field. They're mixing and matching, so it's a lot to take in. I don't know what is fair in terms of what's to expect out of that. Like I've never had to, I've had to learn football in an off season and it took me two off seasons to really learn football, you know, deep down to understand everything and be, you know, to, to comprehend what's going on. So for him to try and do it in two months while going to school, like that is a part of his day too. Not saying like, you know, not trying to build in excuses. I just, I'm trying to factor in all of the factors that might cause him to not be 
able to, you know, be a professional and learn all of this and absorb it very, very quickly. So I think that there is, there's Jeff and Oakdale's correct. Like those are the things that are going on. Why and what's the context and can it improve, you know, by October, November, he might, it might click for him. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. NT Frank, if there was ever a time for an upgrade or a step up in his performance, it's right now. He's got essentially three weeks before the next game. You got mm-hmm. the bye week here, essentially a bye week going into UMass, and then the week to prepare for Ohio State. So there's three weeks time here. That's almost the length of training camp, where yeah. it's what, four weeks? So it'll be interesting to see if he could step up from there. All yep. right. N- next up is Sean for Somerset, who obviously, obviously, T. Frank, he listens to me. Because his question is, can we eliminate the read option if Aller never actually keeps the ball? <laughs> uh, no, because <laughs> the minute he keeps it and it surprises everyone, including Penn State fans, it might surprise the defense, too. So you want to talk about hiding things in the playbook. The threat of the quarterback running and then lulling you into a sense of complacency and then him pulling in the right situation at a key time against you know who that could that could be a big gain. You know, like that could be a difference making situation where he pulls the ball and he's able to he's able to trick the defense, you know, like I said, lull them into a sense of complacency. Also, they are they are running an offense that is tailored not just to um, Drew Aller. It's tailored to the quarterback room at Penn State. And the other guys are athletic. Even, you know, Jackson Smolik can move. So you're not going to eliminate the, the read option. You're not going to eliminate, you know, the pro- progression part of the passing game. You want these guys to be able to do a little bit of everything. So if, if Bo Perbula comes into the game and he is, has to come in or they choose to bring him in, you can't have, you can't have the offense not practicing this stuff which will then heavily factor into his time if he's on the football field. And I'm not trying to like bring up bad juju by saying that, but that is, they've talked about this. James Franklin has talked about it's a challenge to fit the strengths of both of these players, but they feel like they're doing it. And, you know, it's not going to be 100% in for both players, but you are getting a winning game where they're scoring over 30 points a game. You know, I'm not trying to parrot James Franklin and give the, that narrative more life or anything, but it is a fact they are still scoring over 30 points a game. They are, T. Frank, but my defense of what Sean is asking is the whole point of that read option is there's the option for the quarterback to keep the ball, and if he never does, they should just call it the read, not the read option, okay? And the read is (laughs) give give it to the running back, and I understand the point. Yeah, I'd rather have Nick Singleton running the ball rather than Drew Auer, but as you did in your analysis of when Bo Prabul is in the game and he's obviously a threat to run the ball, that opens things up for Trey Potts. And I'm wondering if it's not in Katron Allen and Nick Singleton's best interest if once in a while Drew Allen would hold on to the ball. Perhaps we're just waiting to see that for those big games, T. Frank. Yeah. All right. Next up. This is our double question, our dual question. When two people ask similar questions, I'm going to put them together, T. Frank, and okay. let you have one answer for it. Okay. John from Raleigh says, it seems both Singleton and Allen are sluggish and slow this year. Pot seems to be a step quicker than both number 10 and number 13. Any thoughts on why this may be the case? Do you see Potts 
having more pop than number 10 and number 13. And the other question, this is from Bob from Berwick, PA. He's now in South Carolina, by the way. But Bob says, what is your film study telling you about Potts? Is yeah. he earning more minutes on the field with the first team? It seems like every time he's on the field, good things happen. He seems to be more decisive, hitting holes, and he's able to break tackles. Once again, Bob asks the question, then gives the answer. <laughs> yeah, we've got it. I love how smart the 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 uh, the audience is that they're they're able to do this. And then I just need to be like, yeah, that's basically what it is. And I feel like it, you know, we answered this in quarter number one. I don't I don't want to rehash this over and over again, because I also think that it is. um. I, I don't want to say unfair isn't the right word, but is it necessary to keep pounding the idea that both of those players aren't playing well and not playing up to their potential? And I'll just restate that. Trey Potts is a good running back. He, yes, you know, I think he is earning more of a role in the offense, but let's pump the brakes on he's going to start. I saw somebody said he needs to start. And it's like, you are going too far. Like you are seeing something correct, but then your decision is to do something too radical that would upset, you know, I think the fabric of the offense. The reason that players transferred out of this running back room last year is because these two are more talented. The reason Trey Potts came here, the understanding was he was going to be a change of pace guy behind them. Everyone understands that. Everyone knows these guys are good. And by the way, Katron Allen, like I said, hitting his stride and then gets injured and does not play in the second half of that game. So I, I think this is another area. I know it's been five weeks, but you got to have some patience because you, you don't want to avoid making changes for fear of change, but you don't want to overreact to the stimulus of the moment and forget everything you know. That, I think, is the hardest thing for a coach is when do I make a change like is being suggested and when do I make incremental changes to hopefully um, improve the situation? And I think they can make incremental changes to improve the situation, but the wholesale changes that some fans are asking for, I think, are inappropriate. And that's where we got to thread the needle in this conversation is you've got to let your talented players work out their talent on the field because, you know, that's your best opportunity of going to a national championship if that's what all the fans want, which is Nick Singleton has to be a threat. You know, you're not getting there unless Nick Singleton plays at his best. T. Frank, I'll give you two quick points on this. The small sample size. Trey Potts ran the ball three times on Saturday. Three times. Let's yeah. not overreact. Remember, yeah. we had a full season of Catron Allen and Nick Singleton last year. A much larger sample size to tell us what they're capable of. And the other point, I'll... I don't know if it's quite disagreeing with you, but I will add in. The reason why Trey Potts is on this team, I believe, is exactly what happened against Northwestern. Katron Allen went down with an injury. Yeah. To think that two running backs are going to go the entire season without even getting nicked up like the two did last year, I think that's unrealistic. I think if you were yeah. a betting man, you don't want to see it. But I would have bet someone, a running back, was going to miss significant time somewhere. And to have a Trey Potts filling in, that, that's a, a tremendous uh, option to have. All right, let's change gears a little bit. Gary from Mechanicsburg says, T. Frank, with more teams involved in the national championship race this season, would this be a good year for the 12-team playoff? Or is it better at four? 
to add more value to the regular season games, like with Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. It's an interesting point because if things go to expectation, we think Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan will be undefeated except in the games they play each other. Yeah. In a 12-team playoff, all three would probably make the playoffs. In a 14-team playoffs, maybe only one of them, and the value of those regular season games go up. So which side are you on here, T. Frank? Uh, I hate this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time contemplating these things. You know, not not to not to parrot James Franklin, but like I'm a one to know person like I'm in the week doing this stuff. I don't really think about the broad picture all that much. Let me take the question then, T. Frank. Sure. I want the 12 team playoff, but exactly the point that Gary brings up about Penn State, Michigan and Ohio State. They may be three of the top five teams in the country. Meanwhile, there are teams that don't have any games against the top five opponent and can cruise into the playoffs. I think it's similar out in the Pac-12, which is interesting in really their last year. Oregon's yeah. really good. Washington's really good. USC's really good. I'm not sure it's going to be fair, but they're going to have the same issue that Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State does. Yeah. Meanwhile, down in the Southeast Conference, for the umpteenth year in a row, we do not see Georgia playing Alabama in the regular season. So they yeah. actually catered their schedule to getting teams to make the playoffs. So that's why I vote 12 teams, T. Frank. Can I, can I add one thing really quickly? Sure. Let's not act like seeding wouldn't be really important. So those games aren't losing value. It's just losing the pressure cooker of you cannot lose, and then it's the ramifications of losing. There's, there's a subtle difference there. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number three. Stay tuned, quarter four. T. Frank will pick out our winner. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you. Again, that's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim. He's T. Frank. We're talking Penn State football. But before we get into that, T. Frank, we need a winner from our Ask T. Frank segment. Who do you got? I'm going to go with our uh, fan scout, Jeff in Oakdale, who gave an excellent breakdown of Dante Cephas. It is a bye week. I didn't really have to answer the question. I answered the question for some reason, but like he had the answer there. So uh, even even here in the question segment, I'm getting a bye week of, of Jeff is uh, nailed his evaluation. And the only context I again, I would add of Dante Cephas is give him some time. He's having to do things that other players did in the offseason live in front of you. And that can that. I always equate it because I was in theater. Like if you don't know your lines and you're out on stage, that is, I have recurring nightmares about that. And that's a lot of like Dante Cephas isn't off book yet. 
and he's out there trying to perform. So like give, give a little bit of understanding to the situation. T Frank at the theater. That'll be a conversation. Maybe we'll hold that for the off season T Frank. And by the way, just a quick note, Sean from Somerset, I voted for you. Okay. I was overruled. Sean, I voted for you. Why? Because you agreed with me. That's my reason for voting Politics. for Sean. Uh, Politics. <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't overrule you, did I, T. Frank? <laughs> no. We say T. Frank decides, and I let you decide. <laughs> you may have been wrong, but I let you decide, T. Frank. Let's move on. We spent a lot of time talking about the offense in the first couple segments. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about the defense. T. Frank, you know, I heard uh, some conversation after the Northwestern game about, you know, the missed tackles that we saw. There were a couple of those third and long plays where the quarterback scrambled. T. Frank, I don't care. Through five games, I have just been so impressed with this defense. Not only have they been effective, they are fun to watch. Yes. So this is going to be ironic coming from me. Um, and th this is something that I try to remember when I'm doing evaluations and I'm pointing out things of like an offense that's scoring 30 points a game. What's going wrong? Like being negative doesn't make you smart. Being negative makes you negative. Um, pointing out, and this is the nature of football is like James Franklin comes out and says, like, we want to be perfect on offense and defense. We want to be excellent in all of these things. The players talk about wanting to be perfect, right? Like, but we're going to land at excellent. And that's absolutely what's happened with this defense. There have been times that they've missed tackles, but there have been times that every professional and semi-professional team has missed tackles. They have been doing a historic job at times. You know, the let's not forget what they did to Iowa. This is the, this is the second time in a row that they've held a team under 200 total yards, and they held the team under 100 yards in one game. That The other teams that did that in history of holding a defense, an offense to under 100 yards all happened right after World War II or during World War II when there weren't a lot of people playing football. So, like, in the modern era, it's one of the best defensive performances we've ever seen. And, like, that is the way they're playing right now. Now, now that I said that, now that I said this is an excellent defense that is firing on all cylinders, they will not be able to sustain this level of production all year long. So if you're calling for the negative to happen, it will happen. You know, like they are not going to be able to shut down Michigan and Ohio State completely like they did here and give Penn State a cakewalk to a, a win. They are going to battle with those teams and those teams are going to make plays. Penn State's defensive style creates some risk and reward. And there has not been a whole lot of risk lately because their corners have been playing so well. But they are going to be playing legitimate athletes that are going to legitimately challenge them later in the schedule. And they have proven here by being so dominant against inferior opponents that they are on that level that should contend with and battle with the teams that are at their level. So as I like another T Frank saying is if you want absolution, find religion like this is football. That's not going to happen here. You're not going to have the absolution. They're going to beat those teams. But will they play with them and will they contend with them? I absolutely believe this defense can do that. They might give up a 70-yard touchdown, but they also might take the ball away from a first-time quarterback, you know, looking specifically at Kyle McCord with Ohio State. We just don't know how those interactions are going to go till we get on the field because they are talented enough to go up against those teams. 
Okay, let's find out why are they so good, T. Frank. Obviously, there's a lot of talent there. Yeah. We see that Manny Diaz plays that really aggressive defense. But what makes it so good? Is it because the DBs are so good? You could put, you know, uh, King on answer. an island with, and take a receiver out so they yeah. can do more up front? Is it just they have these studs at defensive end? Why are they so good? Or probably all of the above, right? Uh, yeah, it's both. As always, <laughs> it's both. Um, I would say that to me, when you look at the defense, um, Manny Diaz says it starts with the pressure up front because that is what causes the first read denying throws, the ability to play tight coverage because you're not out there on an Island all the time, but you can't do that unless you have corners that you trust to put on an Island all the time. And they have guys like Daquan Hardy is playing awesome. He's probably playing the best football of all those, all of those guys right now. And he's in some of the more difficult situations playing the two way go, um, you know, at, at corner at the slot corner. So, from a talent perspective, they have to have those guys that can cover because like I said, at some point this year, they're not going to get pressure and they're going to have to maintain their coverage for a full three seconds against good receivers. And that's when we're going to see the talent tested in the secondary, but it hasn't happened yet because Penn state's defensive front is so good. They, there was a play where Adisa Isaac, and this is again, why I hate these play action power where you're pulling a guard to go defend the edge, where you, you're bringing your tackle down, you're trying to get a play-action fake, you're pulling a lineman, and Adisa Isaac just ran by that poor guard. He had no chance to get him. So Adisa Isaac goes virtually unblocked into the quarterback, and it's a throwaway where Penn State, you know, there, were, there are receivers open in these zone coverages. There's no hope for these quarterbacks to get the ball out because Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, and Deny Dennis Sutton, Deny Dennis Sutton ran straight through that same tackle like I'm just head down bull rush and threw the guy into the quarterback's lap with a, with no resistance. These guys are being truly dominant at their positions when they're going up against teams they they should dominate. It was a slow start a little bit, but they also faced some good offensive lines, especially, um, you know, West Virginia might be the best offensive line they see until they see Michigan like that might be top two that they see all year. And they, again, contended with that team and, and out of the gates had a tough test and passed that one as well. You know, from a point total, West Virginia didn't do a whole lot. So this defense is, is playing really well um, from a synergistic standpoint where no one is being hung out to dry. The, the pass rush is getting there and the coverage is sticky. And that's why you're getting these shutdown performances where there's nowhere to run for the, the opposing offense. Perhaps relevant is that West Virginia has not lost since that Penn State game. The other thing I wanted to ask you about on a defense, T. Frank, it's something that you've brought up before, and that's they have these three wonderful defensive ends that they rotate it through, yeah. is they manage to get all three of them on the field at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So this is, it's funny, I asked Manny Diaz about this uh, during training camp. And sometimes, like, I'm not the best at reading people, but if you catch a, if you catch somebody off guard with your question, it usually means, like, they don't want to answer it. And so I asked him, Greg Rousseau played nose tackle for him at Miami and got, I think, I forget, it was, like, like double-digit sacks. It was somewhere in the teens when he got, when he was playing, essentially, on the interior, the, the, the role that Zane Durant was playing. I thought, 
that would be Denai Dennis Sutton. Similar size, similar length, similar player that has power and and you know strength over pure speed. And here they go putting Chop Robinson over the nose tackle or over the center and letting him bull rush people into the backfield while you've got this defensive ends coming from the outside. And oh, by the way, looping around into the A-gap, attacking from every angle and every position. So they have done a bunch of stuff that is really smart and that they've done um, you know, creative ways to put your guys in position to succeed. And it's been, I mean, you've seen the result has been unbelievably effective. And the guy who, the brains behind all of this is Manny Diaz. What does mm-hmm. he do to you, Frank, that's so special that sets him apart as a defensive coordinator? Uh, I think it goes back to that risk-reward and not being afraid to dictate the terms to the offense. Defense, some defensive coordinators are defensive. They're reactionary. We're going to play coverages and let you dictate, and then we're going to attack. Now, every defense dictates certain things by denying separate parts of the field. Manny Diaz is going to dictate the action and say, you're going to throw the ball quickly because we're going to get pressure. So we're going to predict where the ball goes and we're going to take it away from you. Secondarily, like one of the things that's gotten a lot better the last two weeks, and I'm going to be doing this, uh, you know, in my film room sometime this week is looking at the defensive tackles and their ability to get into their gaps from their stunting and slanting, which they've done a lot of this year. They've gotten a lot better at hitting their marks. So a lot of times what you're doing when you're slanting is you're trying to say you're not going to we know the rules of the offense and where the ball is supposed to go on certain run plays. So we are going to deny you where you want to go with the ball and funnel you towards X player, whether it's KJ Winston coming in down from a safety position, whether it's Abdul Carter or Tyler Elson, one of the linebackers, or maybe it's a blitzing defensive end. You know, maybe it's the unblocked defender. He does a great job of manipulating where the ball is supposed to go as long as everyone hits their marks. And that has been what they've improved on and why they've been so good against the run these last two weeks against inferior offensive lines, line, uh, offensive lines that can't contend with the strength and athleticism of the defensive front. They're going to, because again, because of the risk here of not playing in your gap and missing the mark against better offensive lines, they're going to give up some runs in the future. But they're also going to get a lot of these tackles for loss. They're going to frustrate and make everyone be great. Like, they are forcing the issue of saying, hey, we're a great defense. We're going to force you to beat us. And I think that's an area where um, that's, to me, a little bit of the secret sauce the more I've learned about this defense is it's really like there are, there are plays for the defense where you're, it's not irrespective of what the offense is doing, but it is very intentional of dictating to the offense where the ball is going to go. Uh, T. Frank, I was going to ask you about the concern about this defense going in was the run defense in the mm-hmm. middle up front. Again, we'll not know for sure until we see them play Michigan. Real quickly, though, have you been happy with what you've seen so far from the run defense and the tackles specifically? Yeah, I wasn't early in the year. They were a little rusty. And I asked Akeem Beeman about this uh, before the Northwestern game. I was like, everyone says this defense is easy, but looking at it, that does not look easy to do. And he's like, yeah, it, th- like it's simple, but it's hard to do. And it's hard to do consistently right. And they've gotten much better at it. The defensive tackles have gotten so much better at hitting their mark. And again, they're going up against inferior competition to their skill level. They will be challenged again in the future, but for now, they have been doing an excellent job. And that's why it's truly been a dominant defense the last couple of weeks. 
Very good. Thank you, T. Frank. That is going to be it for our show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.